Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Deb Roberts and I am the host for season two of the Mind Medicine Australia's podcast. Before we begin with this week's guest, a reminder that Mind Medicine Australia's focus is on the development and the use of evidence-based psychedelic-assisted therapies within regulated healthcare systems. We do not, though, encourage the use of psychedelic medicines outside of this context, and we do not support the use of these substances in any way that is unlawful. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only. None of the content herein constitutes medical advice. Guests' views are their own and do not represent the views of Mind Medicine Australia, and individuals need to discuss their individual healthcare needs with their healthcare providers. Thank you for listening. So welcome to the Mind Medicine Australia podcast, uh, season two. Marjan, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. How do I pronounce your name? I'm Marjan. Yes, you pronounce it very well, Deb. Thank you for having me. Marjan. Um, Okay. I wanted to, as I said at the beginning, and um, useful just to take about 30 seconds. Um, I tend to, wherever I can, um, I don't have shoes on. And so feet potentially flat, uh, planted um, on the earth, the ground. Um, And perhaps if you're listening to this and you are driving or you are um, in motion, of course, just see how you're connecting with um, the ground, the earth that you're on. And perhaps I do it usually audibly uh, a sigh out. I feel like it um, can just uh, allow kind of stale energy to um, just uh, dissolve um, and allow the opportunity of the conversation to um, really um, be in its kind of highest uh, highest form and what we can relay um, in regards to lived experience. So in that um, aspiration, we can slowly um, open the eyes if you have, um, sometimes when you open the eyes, even though your background, I can um, see a brightness um, and sometimes just having that eyes closed for just a short amount of time of stimulation uh, reduced um, can make a big impact in our day. Um, so Welcome, um, Marjan. I, I have um, such interest in hearing about uh, just your background, your story. Um, I know there's a French speaking background, but I wondered, especially for listeners um, who haven't been introduced to you, if you can just maybe start with, I've been asking the question, um, having a thread of connectivity um, through the interview. And I was just wondering just for you right now in your place, um, just kind of at this time in life or this moment, um, just kind of what you feel connected to. Uh, I actually do. Um, I do feel connected. I think um, I came a long way uh, from being actually quite disconnected with myself, with work, uh, I I now know that how disconnected I was from from myself, from nature, from people I liked. I thought I was having um, connections with my colleagues, with my friends, with family, with my kids. But um, uh, 
Yeah, um, I, I think that the experiences we are going certainly to talk about a little bit further, I will, I will explain certainly how I came to actually now fully, when I'm in presence of something, somebody, uh, or even something, animals, nature, walking, uh, hiking, um, I try to take it in. I see uh, now, and I I have a science background. Okay, it's not the woo-woo that you think, but I do sense that we are surrounded by energy of everything and constantly while I'm walking, while I'm talking with you, while I'm patting my cats, while I'm uh, eating food, while I'm drinking my coffee, I feel an exchange of energy. So all these um, uh, elders or indigenous people from where plant medicine came and they're constantly talking about the energy in nature, the energy in the plants. I now, I now get it. I, as somebody with um, a very strong academic background in science, I struggled a bit understanding the concept, but um, yeah. I hope I answered your question. Absolutely. And you have in terms of, you know, as opening up um, how um, what we are engaged with, I think is um, uh, just a really nice uh, concept to um, communicate. And it's a process. And I suppose um, with my um, background, um, even coming into Mind Medicine Australia, um, my, you know, my sister, who sadly ended her life in November last year. Um, and one of the reasons, you know, interested in plant medicine, the potential, and we were looking at that and um, listeners will know that if they, if this isn't their first um, interview listening to. Um, and I bring it up because sometimes I think it can be taken very, oh, what are we connected to? And, you know, and it's kind of trivial, could be, trivial and I don't ask that in the trivial sense because people who are choosing um, and have taken that very difficult um, choice in terms of ending their life um, you know are disconnected so much so so I know that I um, in hearing you it's actually you know it is delightful um, it doesn't mean that everything's there's one one tiny thing that is um, is a magic bullet and we're going to you know talk about that but I wondered before the psychedelic um, you know, communicating specifically about that, if you wouldn't mind just what you feel um, inclined to share in terms of your background. Um, you know, some people have started, you know, from their earliest memory kind of thing, or just kind of generally um, their background, what you feel you'd like to share with listeners. Um, yeah, oh, that's it. Thank you for the question. And thank you for uh, sharing with us um, the very um, um, sad story of your sister and believe me for um, again I'm thinking maybe later during the the, the interview um, I will disclose where how I can connect with your sister's feelings and whatever I said this week I leave that I did leave that um, probably not to that extent of taking my own life but I come from a background of a depression I could not shake. Uh, so if you want to go back uh, further, I was raised um, raised in France and came to Australia as an adult. I was already married. My kids, both of my kids were born in France. 
So we came as a family and then here we separated with my partner and I'm currently with uh, my new Australian partner, but we came as a French family here. And very quickly within the first um, year of establishing ourselves in Australia, the, the kids were already at school, we separated. And, um, so it just happens that um, I was a single mother trying to make a living in here in Australia by myself and go to university at the same time because I didn't think I had enough English. English was very, um, I learned it at high school and that was not enough to get a job and go ahead and get ahead in Australia. So I actually put myself back to uni and did a master's degree here as well and ended up working for the government. Uh, the state government of South Australia, I was in Adelaide. And what uh, what I was just telling you about feeling disconnected is just because on paper, I could show that I went to uni, I had lots of accolades because I was a golden key student. Academically, I was achieving. My kids were well-behaved, well-fed, and I was doing it all by myself and I could be proud of it. Yet, it was like a shell. It felt like a shell. Uh, Marjan had a mask on that she was an excellent student. She was an excellent worker. She was trying to uh, be a great mom and uh, doing all that by myself. Yet, I didn't think that nothing makes sense. I'm not sure whether I expressed that very well because I'm not very spiritual. I don't have that background of spirituality to talk about it but I just felt like it's a sense of are we doing all this for this why are we doing carrying on doing all this for what I, was, uh, I had a very good job I had a good salary all of that yeah then uh, of course a little bit lonely for a homesick all the little things, but with no background of me beginning even thought about depression or anxiety, nothing like that. I did not have a background of mental health myself. Right, okay. It's interesting. Uh, well, I, I, or I didn't think I had. And then um, my mother was diagnosed with um, uh, bowel cancer, stage three at the time. And uh, after 10 years going like this, so on the top of doing all this, being a single mother, trying to be a Wonder Woman, you know, um, uh, university, another degree, uh, high responsibility jobs. Um, then mom got sick, so I was on the phone with the time difference with Europe. I had sleepless nights, all that. And then my mom's uh, health went uh, went worse. And then the day, uh, I think in the six month prior to her dying, I think this is where I was just thinking, oh my God, I, I think that I have got trouble getting up in the morning. I have got trouble um, uh, completing all the tasks. I was not focusing. I was doing mistakes. And... I was not being very forgiving with myself doing those mistakes. I found myself um, not wanting to um, get up 
and go to work the same way that I was doing. I did not have enthusiasm about seeing my ki my f uh, friends or going out to sit in, um, in the sun and have a coffee. None of that was making me happy. I, I had, I was just uh, going through the daily grind, basically, yes. and that was a daily grind. It was grinding. I could feel it emotionally, and um, and then mum passed away. And this is after uh, mom, I lost my dad when I was a child and mom never married. So mom was the sole provider and so uh, the only rock in my life, really. So this is when I hit the wall. I literally, something happened. I felt like I was alone in the cosmos. I went back to that six or seven-year-old Marjan, alone, cold, in the dark, in the cosmos, being like, this is the feeling I had, like being an orphan okay. in an orphanage. This is how most orphans in um, orphanages must feel. This is exactly, that's the best way I can describe it. And I was an adult woman, woman. I was a mother, yet, um, and that's, uh, that, depression turned into panic attacks, anxiety attacks, social anxiety where I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't get out of my house. Um, I wasn't eating, I wasn't showering. Um, my daughter had to remind me, Mom, you haven't been, you haven't showered in three days. Please go and do that. Um, and then one day I just realized that I was I was waking up every morning with shortness of breath with um, panic attacks to the point where I was prescribed medication for heart palpitations. And then um, the doctor, I said that I need help. I really do. I think I now I recognize that this is not just the grief and loss of losing my mom. That's going on um, after eight months I was still very sick so I sought um, medical assistance from my GP and he prescribed antidepressants of course this is the first line they did that first one did not work out at all after two weeks I was not any better I wasn't feeling any uh, difference I was crying still a lot uh, panic attacks were there so he changed into a different um, type of SNRI this time and um, uh, it, I, I cannot say that I got better. It numbed my feelings. I was not crying. It numbed me. Um, I wasn't crying, but I still wasn't feeling any joy. And then one day, and this is where I was just telling you, I can certainly relate with your late sister, one day, I just surprised myself uh, thinking about, uh, you know, if I have to go on like this, I don't know what else to do. If I have to go on like this, I'd rather end it. And I had kids at home, so I don't think I was serious about planning to do mm -hmm. anything. But I was just saying, 
I surprised myself praying to God. Um, God, if you do exist, I wish not waking up in the morning. Can I go to sleep and not wake up? That would be ideal. And um, I acknowledged then that I actually had suicide ideation. I didn't feel like going on. And um, this is when I said to myself, okay, either these antidepressants do not work or there is something in it. And I went and looked at the notice box and finally we prescribed for people to people who have, we are fearing that they may suicide, medications that some of them as side effects have to provoke suicide ideation in people who didn't have that before. This is a real situation. And the medical field knows that very well, the pharmaceutical field, because it's written in in the boxes in a very, very small print. So I knew, I just said to my GP, look, this is making me worse because it's giving me ideas I didn't have before. And he said, oh, okay, okay, let us change it. I said, no, I'm going, I wean myself off slowly. And that was after four months taking those medications. I decided that I'm not going to go that way. So I started looking online, what could potentially help me in a more natural way. I know that, uh, you know, um, I loved everything. I love cooking. As a French person, we cook most of the things. We, I certainly don't eat anything processed. Um, I start cooking everything from scratch. So I said, hmm, since um, I like natural uh, uh, food or whole food, let me look at whether there is any uh, remedy for depression or anxiety in the natural world. And by doing research, that was all I was doing at that stage. I was not getting out of my house. So I sat and I found suddenly a video from late um, uh, Professor Jordi Riba uh, presenting to the University of Barcelona about the benefits, antidepressant benefits of ayahuasca natural plants and that has been done for many years and i was just thinking this is too good to be true so i kept on searching more i searched and more i realized yes they were they are possibilities that psychedelics psychedelic plants could have that effect on uh, with depression i was in no uh, way it wasn't not possible for me at that stage to go to South America. I was not getting out of my house, let alone catch a plane and go in the Amazon. That was another question um, for me at that time. So I looked um, online and saw that other psychedelic, a perfectly natural plant or fungi based, they have the same effects. And that's how I heard for the first time the antidepressant effects of psilocybin, psilocybes or psilocybin mushroom. And um, so I thought, oh, this is something that could work for me. Uh, however, as we discussed before uh, this interview, Deb, with you, 
I didn't know how I have zero knowledge of the drug scene. I don't know. It's illegal in Australia. I wasn't. It's illegal in France. Uh, mushrooms are so I didn't know where to procure the mushrooms. But I was so desperate to get better um, that I was just thinking, okay, look, if that gets me into massive drug use, I become a drug user for the rest of my life. I still um, will do it because the life that I've been living for the last year is not going, cannot go on like that. So I certainly didn't know where, how uh, the underground drug scene, the dealers, the all the things. And I'm a psychotherapist in the addiction um, uh, field. I So I certainly was very against all these. Um, I was very conservative in drug use. I had never smoked a joint in my life. I had never come across anybody who had taken drugs in my uh, surrounding, in my close friends. No one takes drugs. So I was just thinking, how on earth who do I stop in the streets and ask whether I can buy mushrooms from? And then again, um, I Googled and I found that if I go back to Europe, there are uh, clinics where I can get legal and looked after. Under supervision, I can use uh, mushrooms to get better. And that's exactly what I did. I went um, back to Europe. I went. I uh, enrolled myself in a, a clinic in the Netherlands, and I had one session. Uh, a second session was on my treatment plan. They said maybe you need two, and um, the uh, I was in that clinic for seven days, I think around seven days, but I did only one session of mushrooms under supervision of, uh, there is a psychiatrist in place, but there are also psychologists in that clinic, and I didn't um, need a second time. The first time um, I took that, it was uh, exactly what we were discussing before sense of connection to the entire universe, a sense of all these barriers that you have got between you and the deceased people of your life, and my mother that I was mourning, my father that I never knew because he passed away when I was very young, never knew as an adult. Um, all these barriers some dissolved. It's just like the whole universe is a, a entire universe is your consciousness is your family and you feel like this unconditional love this is how i felt from coming from the universe and the energies and all these vibrations and that was um only on that first session how long ago um was that marjan how old 2018 18 right okay um and i know that um the you just mentioned it in terms of you know, the uh, accessibility to psychologists and, you know, um, administered through at least a uh, system where a psychiatrist was involved. 
um, was the, oh, I'm just wondering the reason I asked about the timing in terms of, you know, integration is such a um, uh, uh, important, um, I guess, topic. Um, and I wondered from your from your experience, what was kind of integration for you for you uh, post either during, but you've already you've kind of given us a flavor of what happened during, um, but then what happens next after that? Yeah, um, very good question. This is very extremely important for everybody to realize. This is not like. It didn't feel to me. I knew before because, as I mentioned to you, I had researched. I had done all my research before. I knew very well that the, the element of psychotherapy and integration is very important after. That was offered. Three days in a row I had a, for one hour and a half, I think, each time or one hour, I had psychotherapy with the uh, psychologists who were available in that clinic. Um, and then when I came back, uh, I also had my own therapy. I went through grief counseling with a clinical psychologist who was open. He, I searched him, found him online because he said he's open to new age, which I didn't know at the time how that could. When I called, I said, look, I have had in Europe a very intense and deep, deep um, therapy with psilocybin and I would like integration in here. And he said, I look, I'm not qualified. I don't know what integration means. However, I was enough new age back then. This is an old psychologist. <laughs> um, I had, I'm old enough to have done some of these LSDs or whatever when at the time. So I'm a bit of a new age person. I will help you. Yes. And so I continued, but I continued com completely com uh, conventional psychotherapy here. And that went, I had a mental health plan and I went for that 10 session that my mental health plan allowed. And I don't have to go back to take anything, psilocybin, antidepressants, nothing. Since 2018, I have not returned to that state of depression. Uh, uh, funnily, the very next day after psilocybin, the first thing that I noticed is that I woke up with no panic attack. The somatic effect, the, the body effect of anxiety was gone. There is no panic. Um, I woke up normal. And then the second thing I noticed today is just, of course, my mom is still dead. My father, I still am an orphan. <laughs> Um, uh, my kids are waiting in Australia. I need to back, go back home, which were, you know, go, go back to Australia, which were very um, anxiety generating things. When I was in the, in the depth of my um, depression, I could not deal with any of this. And suddenly, I think the first thing that I noticed with psilocybin is the clarity, clarity around my life saying, well, that's not a problem. You need to go back, go back to Australia. You'll find a job. You can, and all this language, all this um, positive self-talk that I couldn't do when I was depressed. That's the first thing I noticed that I could tell to myself, I'm going to be okay. 
this is something that I either wasn't doing properly in depression or I, I, was, I wasn't able to do it or I wasn't even sometimes willing to do it because as we know or perhaps some people may know for me anyhow that was like that the experience is more you are depressed more you feel like being depressed because when you don't want to do anything you want to crawl back into your bed and go climb into your bed and go under the covers um, more you are depressed more you want to do the same it's very hard to find the motivation of kicking yourself in the backside saying i need to go outside and get sun that's what we prescribe to our patients and it's not working because we don't find that motivation. And that's exactly what I found as changed. The next day, my self-talk was different. I could say, ah, oh, I can actually see how I can go and get a job now. And I can leave. And I'm going to be okay. And that's the first thing I said to myself after suicide. Then... With the uh, psychotherapist here, with my psychologist, we discussed a lot. So we re we built on that strength. I went from strength to strength to strength. I started meditation. I started mindfulness. I started walking and thinking about different things. I did CBT. I did ACT. CBT, Cognitive Behavior Therapy, ACT, Acceptance Commitment Therapy. I did all this within that 10 sessions. So I was writing down all my feelings. I was thinking about all my, um, the gratitude and uh, counting my blessings and all the things that I was told to do. I was doing that. Uh, so I actually, I think I, I trained my very malleable brain who was prepared to accept healing to heal. And that's when integration, that's what I think, I believe integration is when you build on that uh, possibility of feeling life, seeing life as it is, not as the scenario you're making. Sometimes my scenarios are very frightening. This is what gets you into anxiety and depression. Um, that's an um, incredible um I guess, description, I think, of how um, the potential of something um, that the dosage itself, which you had only one experience with, um, and then the work after, I mean, even this citing of the different um, therapy, therapies um, that you mentioned, uh, and that there was a lot of hard work from yourself after, but there was an, uh, an, an, it was accessible. It was accessible in the, um, more accessible in the possibility of, uh, feeling better than, than you were. Um, and going back to that connection thread, the, you know, the, the challenge um, when you are feeling so um, unwell um, and whatever, whether you've had a diagnosis or not, uh, the, um, you know, all the pretty pictures and the, the sun and stars um, sometimes even can make you feel 
worse because you know you want to be feeling better and you're not and then the negative self-talk and the um, rumination etc um and again i'm you know hearing my you know my sister who um had an experience over a long time you know as you know she was on 12 medications when she 12 different medications when she passed and um you know had been to you know probably I don't know if it was 30 different medicines that, you know, but a long history and, you know, residential clinics of, um, you know, being at for months at a time at very high, you know, um, a high cost and not necessarily it, you know, it didn't clear her. Um, one of the things that uh, in hearing you, um, in hearing you in your description before is that there was um, something that, was a clearing house of some sort, a clearing um, and then a different lens and how the mind um, and the brain works, um, as you said, the malleable aspect of that. And I wonder, um, you know, for people who are uh, perhaps listening to this, would love to think that the sun and the stars and going out and fresh air seems nice, but you have have had your own experience of that not being it wasn't enough um, and that something else helped move or uh, I don't know, I'm using the word the clearing house or clearing out. I don't know how you would describe, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are for people who just really are not seeing the light um, at this moment, um, how you might describe a step toward either um looking at, you know, psychedelic assisted therapy, or just even just from a huge, just from a human heart felt, um, having experience, lived experience, how do we relate to the, um, you know, the just increase in suffering, increase we know of people feeling like you described? Yeah, uh, that's very interesting. Um, what you were just saying about um, sometimes when you talk to about when you are feeling okay or well, when you are well, me as a psychotherapist myself, sometimes we just say to people, you know, go outside and get sun. Yes, get some sun. And you just described it perfectly there. People, certainly I was like that. It made me it made me feel worse because I was just thinking they are people who can get happy We just go sit in the sun. I can not get out of bed. What's wrong with me? So it's actually you lose hope about yourself. There is a sense of hopelessness and helplessness that comes with when uh, people were just saying, uh, I'll count you know, even in the meditation or mindfulness, with very good will, we just say that to people, count your blessings. Well, yeah. I'm sorry, but when I was that sick, I did not feel any blessing at all. I just wanted to end it. There was no blessing at all for me to count. Of course, people who are listening, your listeners who are listening to me, they were just saying, what an ungrateful Mom, you have two beautiful kids at home and you couldn't count your blessing. No, this is what I was just telling you. I think depression and anxiety is a, an illness of connection. 
at that moment you are so disconnected from yourself, from your maternal instincts, from your kids, from your life, from your soul, that um, there is no, there is, uh, certainly I didn't feel any blessing at all. If anything, I was just thinking I'm a burden and if I'm not here the next day, my kids are going to be better. Yeah, and that, um, I mean, what you just said, um, I tend to get goosebumps at different parts of listening to people and you're, you know, that is, you know, what you just then described is, you know, exactly um, what, you know, what it, what did happen. And, you know, I know I, I you know, I do mention my sister um, as a personal experience, but we know that that is a, a scenario that, is experienced by a lot of people, you know, Mind Medicine Australia, I say it all the time, but the way in which it's described is, you know, preventing suicide and suffering. Um, and in that order, um, whether um, it's a chicken or the egg, the notion of suffering um, is a paradigm that I am intrigued by um, when I uh, myself and have my own background um, and experience, luckily I'm still, uh, I'm living, <laughs> but living with um, phases of real challenge, um, being away from family because I was, you know, not being well, etc. cetera. So um, with, with that in mind, the notion of suffering um, as a paradigm of how we, um, you just said, um, you know, talking about an illness of connection. Um, and so how would you say from, based on what you've just said, which was very insightful um, around that, I think it's something to really pause on for people to think about how often judgments are made. My sister also has two, you know, old um, now adults, 21, uh, actually in their 20s. Um, and, you know, husband, all the, you know, the people left me, I'm a sister, only sister, that kind of thing. And not as a, um, I actually don't say that as a poor me, I'm saying it as a, um, a real conundrum of how we go from feel someone from feeling helpless and hopeless because we don't also that learned helplessness. It was people who, you know, looking at, even though I've had experienced myself um, periods of time of what you describe, what you've described, um, I myself with my sister, um, you know, when I would go visit as an example, or, you know, you know, come on, you know, like use all kind of tactics, right? I'm sure people um, know this who are carers. And I just wonder how we can relate to the helpless and hopeless better and maybe it's a way for you to connect in if you want to through psychedelic assisted therapy but I also it's not putting that up as the um the be all end all but if it's an option that we are um offered that can really provide a clearing house who have you know we don't call it treatment resistant depression for nothing it's because you've taken a lot of medicine um and you're still suffering to a degree that it affects function and connection um so i wonder it's a i know just wonder what your thoughts are around that helpless hopeless um a lot you obviously had some initiation to then look online i know my you know as an example and people who are desperate and you use those words um i think people who have felt you know a significant degrees of suffering would know exactly how 
desperate, you know, we feel. So um, we certainly don't want necessarily psychedelic assisted therapy to be in this complete desperate, you know, space. We hope that we won't, you don't have to get to that point. So how, I guess I'm wondering how you see from helpless and hopelessness and also realizing that everyone has a different path, right? There isn't one right way to feel clear and well and alert and healthy. Um, yeah, that was a long-winded question, comment. No, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you so much for this question. I obviously don't have all the answers. I can only, even though I work in the field, yeah. I talk for myself because there is no such a thing and uh, if we knew if if we had an evidence base or science base words to say or attitude to have towards somebody who's hopeless that would be known by now that would be 30 research papers on it somewhere it's not um i cannot even tell you this is how that's the pernicious absolutely pernicious nature of depression is that we don't want I didn't certainly I didn't want people to be nice with me I didn't want people to be uh, to look after me because I felt already a burden maybe the high achiever in me felt so terrible about not being able to even cook for myself or go to the shower that I was just thinking living like that is not going Help me so being kind somebody who would tell me oh Majan today I'll bring you some soup it's a very nice gesture today that will fill my heart with amazing warmth and friendship and all this love and I can sense it back then I wasn't able to sense it I was all I could hear from other people uh, oh Majan let me bring you a bowl some soup I baked, cooked some soup or I baked the sourdough, let, let's share that, was, you know, she feels like I'm useless. I cannot do it myself. The, the so top, the this, That's what I, this is the, perni for me, that was that bad. That was that pernicious thing that even the, uh, me, myself as a psychotherapist, we talk a lot about person-centered what the person wants i think at that moment me as a person didn't want it didn't didn't know what i needed didn't know what i wanted yeah. so uh, and that's when uh, for me i think the best thing about um, uh, and uh, this is what i'm going to say is going to be a little bit controversial controversial i think when I was researching psychedelic assisted therapy, I could already sense the placebo effect because by saying there may be a remedy out there for me so I could finally feel normal, I already started to feel a little bit better. So the the placebo effect that you may get even with uh, Panadol or whatever, it did may have because I managed to apply for a passport, buy myself a ticket, go back to Europe, catch a train to uh, Amsterdam, and all this, I 
I was not able to get out of my house without that hole. So I'm thinking that uh, part of the uh, change in the uh, paradigm that we are talking about with psychedelic acid therapy is just we also give hope. And yes. Not discard this. Um, I see that a lot of people who are, if you hear people talking about um, going to uh, the Amazon for ayahuasca ceremony, um, this anticipation uh, that already make them feel a little bit more connected, a little bit more hope, and they put life. So I I'm thinking by that um, making psychedelic asset therapy available in Australia, we are already bringing some hope to people saying I can access it. But um, on the other hand, that hope, we need to manage it because it comes with frustration because as we know, not everyone will be able to access it immediately. Yes. And I certainly, that's why I'm here today. That's why I'm uh, doing activism with Mindless um, in Australia. I'm always involved in something, uh, doing something because I think we do need to, it's, it's inhumane not to allow people to access medicine, especially with such a low risk. Yes. Uh, when they, I think it's actually, it's, it's human rights. Uh, yeah. For me, it should be, it should be part of our human rights to be able to, to, no one can sit with me, especially um, as a counselor in AOD, alcohol and drugs, addiction field. Um, we, we, we talked a little bit before that interview, we were talking about no one seeing anybody knocking on, my, knocking on my door and telling me I need to um, uh, help me quit mushrooms. I, I haven't seen this ever. Um, so there is certainly not a lot. Of, or we don't have safe rooms in Melbourne City to take mushrooms in a safe way. We we accommodate a lot of uh, drug use, yet such a safe compounds that are available to heal people without the side effects of so many other drugs that we prescribe every day or we take every day by ourselves compared to this is um I, I, I certainly believe that there is um yeah not not making this uh, medicine these medicines available to people who need it it's um it's against human it goes against and I think that, um, I mean, in saying that, I mean, there's such a um, uh, an increasing need, uh, emotively, I guess you'd say, that, you know, desperation for choices. I mean, I in hearing what you just said, I think reflecting, um, um, in you know, reflecting on just as an example, um, the hope aspect what you're saying which is um i think really valid it's a seed it's a possibility um i think that you know i know for my sister so only my family i can communicate around you know there wasn't anything other than psychedelics that she didn't do in a in the sense of in the i guess more in the western um uh psychiatric 
you know, side. So in terms of the, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, um, but then also she did ket ketamine, TMS, EMDR, um, you know, and people can look those up if they're, but just mo different treatments that um, for her um, and plus trying to, you know, all the different kinds of modalities that are less, you know, Western, um, you know, Western medicine oriented. Um, and yet I think that, and it didn't, and, you know, for, with not a lot of um, uh, results, significant, yeah, significant, um, more sustaining results. And so I think that notion of um, the hope is really important, but then it seems as though, and it is not meaning that every single, um, you know, there's a lot of parameters around psychedelic assisted therapy that need to be um, you know, tr tried, it doesn't mean we're going to get it necessarily all right either. Um, but the notion of, you know, those other modalities did not work for her, um, you know, as an example. So the fact that it, you know, you're an example, even if it's N of one, and we know that there's a, lo a lot more evidence there, but that there is, um, there is clearing that was going on. And from 2018 to now, um, I don't know what your thoughts are in terms of how do you, you know, that's five years ago. Um, it doesn't mean I'm sure that um, life is, um, you know, perfect in any way. Um, but I wonder how today you're kind of how you, you know, um, what are you doing, I suppose, um, anything different than you've already communicated around keeping that hope and um, I guess not the helplessness. Um, Cause. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very good question. Thank you so much for this. Um, I do, I, I, I do things. I do maintain my mental health because now I'm aware that I can, uh, when the first time I got that sick, I hit the wall, it was like a train wreck, but I wasn't expecting it because before we have low days, low mood, we have anxieties and that's all part of the normal life and it should be that way. We can't always be always happy. So, but I never had any significant, um, I hadn't experienced significant depression or anxiety before. So when it hit me, I didn't know what hit me. Now I'm aware that uh, mental health may be a muscle that you need to train. So there are things I do. They are self-care. There is um, self-help. There are things that I do um, mindfully. Uh, for example, this time, because I feel better and I can count my blessings, I do count my blessings. It sounds all very cliche. I know that. But I do actually, I, I think that every time I not only talk gratitude, I feel grateful uh, because it's not a prayer that we say in the morning to like, you know, um, I was raised in a Catholic church with nuns at some stage of my life. So say your prayer and go to bed or say your prayer around the table and everybody wants to get over and done with so they can eat quickly. Paying your gratitude cannot be yet become another mantra that we just say. I think what I do, I mindfully feel grateful. 
I see what I can feel grateful about in the heart, in my heart, in the core, in the core of my soul. I can feel grateful about. And that maintains my mental health, I think. So there is some exercises, the same way that we do yoga and the same way that we do, you know, um, uh, we go to the gym to maintain the muscles. There is some level of care about the soul that we all need to take. Uh, there are things that I have, um, also as a psychotherapist, I used to say that I didn't, they uh, do as I say, not as I do. I'm, I'm saying that to people, you know, uh, or sometimes you confront people with their, or challenge how they think about some of the things that they tell you or the negative thought they have got. Now I actually very, uh, I'm very aware that I need to do that constantly. I watch myself talk. I watch how, where I put, you know, there is this, uh, say that goes uh, attention goes uh, energy flows where the attention goes so that's exactly true it's what you pay attention to the blissful moment to the small successes to the small wins to little uh, happiness little joys um, the music that comes on the smell of the coffee fresh coffee in the morning the sourdough bread that you are baking all these little things I actually now have exercised. So that doesn't didn't come naturally to me. I was a mask before, don't forget. So yes. that I had to learn how to be mindful, live a mindful life means that pay attention to all these small things every time, every day. And that's how slowly I think that I have muscled up the 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 mental health part of my brain so I didn't need to since I have not taken any psilocybin mushroom nothing I am I don't need to alter my state uh, I don't drink I don't drink alcohol I have as I mentioned to you I continue not having I have not smoked, smoked cannabis in my life I don't know how it tastes um I smoked nicot uh, cigarettes, nicotines, as a typical French, right? <laughs> At my uni uh, time, but that's the only one. My only plant medicine that I'm taking now, and I think I'm still slightly potentially addicted to, is coffee. And um, very lately, uh, lately, like in the last two years, two, three years, I'm organizing um, cacao ceremonies, and I drink, I very very mindfully prepare ceremonial cacao which is full of antioxidants and i prepare that for myself with all the intentions with all the energy and i can sense that there is a exchange of energy every time i do this so there are different uh, modalities and i'm not um, i'm not trying to convince uh, your listeners to um do anything really but um I think these small changes that we do every day to take care of our mental health can help. Well, and I think that, I mean, that notion of mental fitness, um, where I work, um, you know, teaching yoga, the notion of mental fitness is, um, you know, that's at a, a, a kind of a health, uh, you know, a gym. And so it kind of 
to that audience um, of people, members, you know, the mental fitness kind of sounds um, maybe more uh, accessible or appealing, um, but I think that it is important. I know that also, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, the brain um, and the neurochemistry in the brain and, um, you know, when the scene, when the plant medicine um, is, um, ingested in whichever way the you know the notion of how um the brain actually has sh shifted or changed um and you know obviously there's more evidence and more and more evidence around how the brain changes um and the connections coming back to um, a full circle as we started the connectivity and the you know i know everyone who um is in this space but for new li listeners of listening to this you know the um Robin Cart Harris, uh, you know, the study in terms of showing literally the uh, many more connections that are shown in the neurochemistry um, compared to what are, you know, normally. So um, uh, I wonder, you know, I do think though, sometimes there is something I was told as one from one of my yoga teachers, you know, that there was, when I was unwell, there was something wrong with my mind or the brain. And I know there's differences, the mind, the brain, right? But there was something wrong with the mind brain area, you know, that aspect, but not necessarily that that was my own full essential self, you know? Um, so I think that the opportunity to, um, you know, when people are, and I guess I'm communicating around the, you know, pointy end of the unwell. And even though everyone, the suffering is what we as humans, um, it's part of life um, is that, you know, there is can be something wrong with our brain or mind but that isn't our full self and being able to envisage that be able to really feel that um and you talked about it as which is real, uh, also an aspect which is identities um you know we are more than our one identity including our the unwell self um that can lead to potentially you know um, when we are sick, we need help. We go to the hospital. Um, there's also the inner intelligence and the inner healing, as um, I know that um, is very uh, relevant. And that is what had really, as you just described, kind of, you know, happened in your experience. I wonder, just as a final um, question, um, and then you can, of course, um, provide anything else that you'd like to share with listeners around this very big um, topic, but really important um, topic. Um, what do you have in terms of your hope for the system, the service system? I know there's some the legalities and um, challenges just today, depending on when you're listening to this, um, how you kind of your hopes for the service system. Um, what are your hopes for the service system related to psychedelic assisted therapy? Uh, yeah, oh, my hope is just to make uh certainly the medicine and the treatment. Whatever plan that is, whatever the ethic committee and the TGA sees fit to set up, I would like to see that more accessible uh, to the most vulnerable. To certainly uh, allow people who uh, need it to access it. At the moment, we, we see a hurdles and all that. And I really don't understand um, I don't understand, um, and no, no disrespect to no one, but uh, 
I don't understand why psychedelic acid therapy is not available to more people. When you know that the biggest cause of damage and death and overdose in Australia is benzodiazepine. Benzodiazepine is prescribed every day to everybody. It's cause of suicide, cause of overdose, cause of, it causes long-term addiction to benzodiazepine, disturbed life, yet there is not half as much precaution around that. I do understand it's new. It's a new concept. So we need to actually sometimes in 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 the face of all this mental health uh, pandemic, uh, a, epidemic that we have got at the moment, everywhere. We just need to actually make that available to everybody. And we, us as a professionals and as practitioners, we need to also think about how to make it affordable. I certainly work in a in field with addictions that not a lot of people have got disposable money to to seek help. That way, and it's, uh, sometimes it can feel like inaccessible. But really, my biggest wish is that some, eventually, some people will come to their senses when they see the data coming down. I'm very confident that the data will back up everything that we just discussed. There are more and more people feeling better and better. So I'm only hoping that more research will come. More investment is going to be in the field so that more uh, university at the university levels more research will go on uh, there are more practitioners will be trained like us today and there's going to be more uh, a medicare maybe hopefully medicare rebate for people to be able to access that yes and I think that, um, yeah, the accessibility is such a um, significant one. I know Mind Medicine Australia is looking at um, or has set up a patient support fund in terms of trying to, you know, for people um, who, you know, financially it's um, not even a possibility um, depending on um, where you come from and, Yet, I think we um, both know, and perhaps a lot of people listening, the um, just significant shifts in this health service system. Um, you know, I did my uh, academic background, with, you know, long ago on case management, and it was in caring for people who, who had chronic illnesses. So mental health was one of those groups of people and other people with chronic illnesses and how to, uh, how we can better fund and navigate and that was in you know that was in between 90 you know a long time ago before 2000 and um you know we the statistics aren't going away um and so the choices in um how uh, how and what we are offering as choice um and i guess um and it's a, a bit of a i guess a um maybe it's a vision um in how, again, the paradigm of how we just interpret um, the extent of suffering. Yes, there's diagnoses. I don't know what your thoughts are around, um, you know, kind of the the diagnostic um, 
manuals that are utilized worldwide, um, which categorizes as well as funded funds, um, you know, people with um, sets of symptoms and um, then diagnoses, uh, you know, are there. So we, you talked about, you know, um, anxiety, you talked about, you know, um, depression as an example, but whether or not if one in two of us as over a lifetime have some um, uh, significant enough um, time period of, um, you know, very low or, um, you know, angst, you know, like you talked about panic attacks, maybe our whole approach to how we look at um, the delivery, you know, is, is, has to be part of it, has to be part of it. And I know that treatment resistant depression and PTSD are the two that are, um, starting here. And I just wonder how that diagnostic, um, and the paradigm just around suffering. So people then get access to, um, to access to supports to then have, who then have hope, who then are connected. Um, and of course that happens, you know, in our own neighborhoods, let alone all the different service system structures. So it's, um, these are the things that keep me up at night. <laughs> but it's been, uh, it's a, it is actually a real, it has been a pleasure um, talking about, um, you know, just people who were, you know, are living the, ex live, have lived experience um, and have had suffering to a, you know, pointy end degree and been able to find um, hope and um, certainly the opposite of helplessness. I'm not sure the opposite of helplessness would be just that you feel embodied, you know, to be able to have your own inner healing as well as connect with supports that can help the vibration or the, um, you know, to help us thrive. So, um, I know that you're studying, you know, part of the course to be able to, um, you know, be part of the service system. And I just, you know, it's a, um, I take my hat off to you. I don't have a hat, but in terms of how you are relating to some of these um, just really important, significant um, breakthroughs in many respects and um, your example um, is a really beautiful one. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, yes, ab uh, absolutely. The CPAC course, the uh, psych uh, certificate in psychedelic cancer therapy that I'm doing in Australia, it was a given. Once you have been healed, I'm, I'm, I'm at the receiving end of all the benefits, mental health benefits of psilocybin. So of course I was going to be part of it, especially because I work already in the industry. And um, they, there were times when I, we didn't have answers. Now hopefully in the near future we do have answers for a lot of clients who unfortunately um, there are a lot of lives lost to our stubbornness of thinking that maybe Western medicine knows better than and our ancestor and ancestral plant medicines that we had before, there is a level of arrogance to that. But I certainly, as a person with a science background, I understand that you need to have all this um, framework around what you prescribe to clients. There is a lot of 
research needs to be done, but that has been done like the uh, presentation about ayahuasca I was talking to you about earlier. That's 10 years old. Um, that was University of Barcelona presented yeah. by professors. It was not done by just a hippie in a corner of a fire and, you know, beating a drum about and taking mushrooms. Yes. Done by universities. That was done. Look, we lost 10 years. And I'm glad that finally we got to that point. But now we need to, I think, with the first data coming up, I think that we need to just let a little bit um, open it to other uh, symptoms and other, other uh, issues that people, mental health issues that people may have. I know that there are lots of research going on with uh, around OCD, which is very treatment resistant because there's an element of control yes. in that as well. There is uh, uh, addiction, certainly that's my field. I really am hopeful about that. And there are research, more and more research about nicotine and alcohol came out quite recently and that was really great to see so i would like to see all that being generalized and, and hopefully being used um yeah well hopefully we can do. <laughs> there's a lot to do but um really appreciate your time i think um there are many um points that you have made that um will resonate especially you know people who um just are looking at this you know potential for the first time but also people who might have um had judgments around um you know in terms of um you know the addiction of these plant-based medicines some of the misinformation as well as um you coming in you know having not ever done and been involved in you know drug-related behavior um and that you know it was so um in a way extraordinary um but yet the work when you came back was also significant and that the 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 um certainly you've demonstrated just being uh you know you've done you've done with the hard work as well so it's not as though it's just it, the plant medicine does it's what it is doing um and the neuro um scientists and so forth have a much better kind of grasp at exactly where that is in research and what we have to do in that kind of um the this that space but the fact that there are options and that um yeah just a continual um a continual conversation which is why I wanted to do this series anyway so thank you it's been a great conversation thank you for having me today and I hope that that um some of your um, listeners will feel a little bit more at ease um, talking about. Um, I certainly had no background in drug use at all, and I certainly don't condone anybody going and trying you know, anything, uh, you know, off the streets. Because first of all, we needed maybe a word of caution before I go. Uh, when you are desperate uh, and in depression and you self-medicate, you just don't know what you are taking when you buy that off the street. This is the practitioner, AOD practitioner. Uh, you just don't know what you buy in your pills, in your LSD, in your MDMA that you buy off a drug dealer off the street. So that's the, my word of caution. Um, so I'm very glad that now finally we can actually have pharmaceutical grade compounds that we can use with clients in safety. So this is my last um, 
word and I'd say, certainly thank you very much for having me today. Oh, it's great, Marjan. Thank you. Well, and it'll be a continued conversation, as I said. Yeah, certainly. Thank you.